Hello and welcome back to this week's Influence Marketing Talks brought to you by Cure Media, one of the leading influence marketing agencies for high street fashion, home and beauty brands. I'm Frida Ekholm. And I'm Holly Morin. And as usual, we are going to be sharing with you all of the important trends and tactics in consumer marketing in the digital age. And we are going to try and do it in right around 15 minutes. So what are we talking about today, Frida? Well, Holly, today we are wrapping up our sort of unofficial series that summarizes some of the key findings from the research reports we released earlier this month. Exciting. It is. So if you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, we have covered consumer behaviors around shopping and social media, as well as the state of influence marketing from the marketer's perspective. Mm. And that's where we really zeroed in on the kinds of tactics that marketers are using within influencer marketing, as well as busted some myths that still seem to exist within the channel. Both good listens, as biased as I am, both good. (laughs) Do skip back a few episodes to hear both of them, or even just head to our website and you can download all three reports for yourself. But today, as you say, we're going to wrap up this little mini-series by looking at the third and final report, which considers the consumer perspective on influence marketing in 2022. So let's get stuck in, because I think uh, one of the biggest numbers we found was the sheer volume of influencer content that consumers are seeing in their feeds nowadays, right? Definitely. And here we found that 58%, so 6 out of 10 of consumers see influencer content on social media every single day. And when you look at younger age group, your millennials and Gen Zers or Gen Setters, <laughs> then that number shoots up to almost three quarters. So now this is great news for marketers and brands who want to work with influencer marketing because evidentially your messages are going to be visible to your audiences, of course. <laughs> yeah, which is it's, it's great. But I do think there's a trickier takeaway uh, in that, that yes, you will be visible, but so will your competitors. And if you remember from our marketing DMs research, 89% of brands are either already using influence marketing or plan to really soon. So that's an extremely crowded marketplace that you need to stand out in. Good point, Holly. And something brands must remember. Um, Influence marketing is an amazing platform. The audience is obviously there, uh, but the results you see from the channel are still going to depend on how you interact with it. For sure. And and how to do influence marketing effectively, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> Not one I think we'd ever fit into a single podcast. Uh, though over the history of influence marketing talks, we've probably made a pretty good start. Uh, but our survey also underlined something that we've been going on about since kind of time immemorial. And that is the insane and specific power of simply coming to the channel with an always-on approach. Yes, this always-on approach is something we do talk about a lot. But if you weren't happy with just taking our word for it, then you will be pleased to know the research backs it up. 
Because 68% of consumers, almost 7 out of 10, would trust an influencer's recommendation more if it was sustained over time rather than if it just popped up once in a paid ad. And this um, was actually a factor that was most important to younger millennials. Um, And that's a really lucrative market for brands to tap into. And 74% of them reported finding product recommendations more reliable if they were part of a long-term collaboration. Yeah, I can't agree more myself. (laughs) And that's shoppers who fall in the 26 to 35 bracket, which is a lucrative market. So this is an audience who are really coming into their purchasing power, who are making good money and who are statistically less likely to have other big ticket demands on that cash like loans and families, which are obviously going to limit the amount of money and time shoppers can spend on fashion and beauty and interior products. By the way, with this in mind, have you seen the viral TikTok trend uh, where they have like, um, uh, they describe uh, uh, like when you're talking to your older colleague or something and they yeah. they have, poof, you have four kids uh, <laughs> and you... you um, how do you say you need to pay for all of them with your salary? Yeah. And you're just, oh, damn, I'm just uh, financing my shopping behaviors or <laughs> myself. <It's brilliant. laughs> I don't know why I say the dream. This is exactly why I spend all my money on avocado on toast, because <laughs> I don't have a mortgage. Who needs a mortgage when you have brunch? <laughs> I am that meme. <laughs> but yes, like we said, and, and like we have been saying for years now, always on influence marketing is an integral component of successful and effective influence marketing. It's what's going to give you a much wider window of opportunity to catch your audience's attention when you are up against the rest of that 89% of brands who are active in the channel. But it's also going to play a really big role in how likely your influence marketing is to convert, so to actually drive revenue. Yeah, definitely, Holly. And To something else that I'd like to discuss is the kind of traits that consumers are looking for in influencers, but also the ones they are not looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Now, obviously, in our previous podcast, I think it was episode 60, if you want to skip back, we discussed that the three most important traits for Gen Z and younger millennial markets were whether an influencer was enjoyable, whether they were informative, and whether they were authentic. Yeah, and that aspirational was the content that consumers looked for the least. Mm. Just 10% of respondents regarded that an important trait in the influencers they follow or come across online, which was less than half of the response we saw for any other traits. But the trait that I found very interesting uh, that we didn't mention was whether or not an influencer was relatable. And Mm. this was a feature that was important or very important to 60% of respondents. That is interesting, actually. And with the influence marketing channel getting more crowded every day, anything that is important to more than half of your audience is something you need to be factoring into your strategy, of course. Yeah, precisely. (laughs) And again, this was an element that was more important to that lucrative little 26 to 35 age bracket than any other age group. And the thing that I found interesting here as well is that to me, relatability is kind of the OG of influence marketing. <laughs> it's uh, it's why we followed blogs. It's why audiences started to grow for people who lived completely normal, uh, recognizable lives. And it's why consumers started to trust influencer recommendations in the first place. 
when previously mass marketing, especially in the fashion space, had been heavily reliant on celebrity endorsements. Because at the end of the day, if I'm going to spend my hard-earned cash <laughs> on a lipstick, I am more likely to benefit from a recommendation from Kate Moss, who, let's be honest, probably isn't using the the five euro uh, lipstick from Rimmel. Or am I going to trust a recommendation from Claire, who shows me her boots hauls and who I know is going to get the same public transport as me, eating in the same restaurants and living a life that looks more similar to mine than Kate Moss. <laughs> Frida works hard for her money, but she's not yeah. Kate Moss yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Any day now. Yeah. But it is interesting that you bring that up, actually, because I do think it's a feature of the channel that almost gets taken for granted nowadays. Brands can, and we do see it, they get caught up in this kind of rat race to lock down the biggest influencer so they can hit the widest audience. But actually, what a lot of consumers still want and and what built this channel in the first place is that personal touch and that feeling that you're being recommended a product by a friend or at least someone who understands your needs, your difficulties, your life. But let's move on, because I think the last thing we're going to have time to touch on today is the different content formats that resonate with consumers Now, we do have a great episode on this specifically coming up, I think, next week. So keep an eye out for that. But for now, let's not get too deep on the tactical advice. Let's just review which format consumers say they prefer. Let's do that. Interestingly, this was probably the area where we saw the greatest variation in answers between different age groups. Mm -hmm. So there were really a wide spread here. But one thing that four out of five age group agreed on was that planned static posts. So, you know, the traditional feed posts, your flat lays and your nicely post shots, they are over. No one wants them. <laughs> yeah, for, for I think it was all consumers over 25, planned static posts were the least popular content format, which means that for Gen Z, they actually still like them, which is wild to me it feels so incongruous with everything else we know about them yeah it surprised me too but I do think it's important to note that they they don't exactly maybe like them maybe it's they found it more inspirational like aspirational like they have the different uh, what do you call moods what content they like yeah I think that's true actually it was still only um 19 percent of Gen Z respondents who claimed that these types of posts were their favorite yeah yeah, but it's still 20%. So I think it's yeah. it's good to have in mind. Uh, but yeah, we're all about video, fun, entertaining content right now. But which is still more than I would expect, uh, 90%, to be fair. But for them, the least favorite format was actually live videos. And I think this speaks volumes about the way different generations consume media. Because notably, there was only one age bracket who preferred live video over all other content formats. And that was the 56 plus group, um, which is also, you know, again, just kind of wild to me until you break it down. And then I think it actually makes perfect sense. This is an age group that were really already mature and settled when the internet came along. So for them, they will be much more used to focusing their attention on something that is happening in the moment you know, the younger generations of consumers who have grown up with things being much more on demand and a million different demands being placed on their attention 
are probably not used to zoning in in that way that the older consumers will be. Yeah. And now, because there was such a spread in the responses here, this isn't something we would have the time to deep dive into today. But I actually think the spread itself is the main takeaway here. Right, Holly? Yeah, I really think so. There was so much variety between responses from the different age groups. And that serves as a really important reminder of the importance of understanding your audience. And especially if they span different behavioral groups, being prepared to mix up your influence marketing, to speak to those different preferences, those different motivators. Yeah, you don't want to take it for granted just that just because one format or one tactic has proven really popular with one group, it's going to get the same response from others. Uh, use that always-on approach to provide a runway for testing, optimizing your influence marketing, the content formats, the platforms, etc., and analyze the responses you're seeing and the engagement you're getting, and make sure your strategy is driven by data and these kind of insights, not just gut feelings. So it's important to always try uh, and test and see what works for your brand or, uh, yeah, product. Yeah, and... And also to remember that audiences change. You know, we'll do this research this year in 2023, 2024. There might be completely different behaviors, completely different motivators that brands need to be aware of. Yeah. So always be testing, always be data driven. And I think that's probably a really good way to wrap up this episode of Influence Marketing Talks. We've covered, I think, a fair bit of ground today. So maybe a quick recap. Yeah, we can try. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. So one. The most foundational learning from our research, um, influencer content is reaching your audience every single day. But whether or not it's your influencer content will depend on how you approach the channel. So true. Two, an always-on approach is what consumers want. It's what's going to make your content more trustworthy and it's going to actually allow you to be data-driven instead of impulsive, instead of reactive. And three, different audiences are going to look for different things from influencers. Um, adapt to this, but remember, it's not just about keeping things fun and informative and authentic. Your audience also wants to be able to relate to the influencers you're working with. So important. And on that note, I think that is a wrap for today. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's Influence Marketing Talks. As usual, we have been your hosts, Holly and Frida. Do head to our website at www.curemedia.com for all of the research reports we mentioned today, as well as lo it genuinely is loads more information just like this. Or catch up with us on all of our social channels. We're at Cure Media. Thanks for listening, and we will see you back here next week for another episode of Influence and Marketing Talks.